You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're talking about Daniel Craig's second Bond outing, Quantum of Solace. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. The middle children of history, man. No purpose, no place. We have no great war. No great depression. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Paul Williams. Hello, hello. So we're here tonight to talk about the 22nd Bond film, Quantum of Solace, Daniel Craig's second Bond outing. If I'm not mistaken, this is also the first that's an actual sequel in the series too, correct? Uh, well, that's kind of a slippery slope. Like, it's the only one that is a direct sequel. Like, this t- this picks up like moments after Casino Royale. Like the whole idea, like this this movie opens in a car chase. That we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But that car chase, Mr. White is in the trunk. He snatches him at the end of Casino Royale. But no, yeah. there was another direct sequel with Under Majesty's Secret Service going from that to Diamonds Are Forever because Bond's wife dies. Yeah, I forgot about that. Under Majesty's Secret really long... Service. And then like he, yeah. he's hunting down and looking for uh, Blofeld. But okay, so Quantum of Solace. Uh, this was directed by Mark Forrester, who, when this was made, wasn't really known for action films. He, oh, so he did Finding Neverland and Stranger Than Fiction and uh, Monsters Ball at Holly Berry. That's what she won her Oscar for, for Best Actress. Yeah, I, I thank you for saying that this was his first action film. He, uh, it, he did a phenomenal job. This one, I know we mentioned in the Casino Royale podcast that it had a little bit of the Bourne feel to it. This movie, I will say, I think it has more of a born feel to to it than, than Casino Royale did. By the time this this film came out in 2008, and by that point, the first three, the kind of the born trilogy with Matt Damon, and the third born film actually had grossed more than any Bond film had up until that point. Not ticket sales wise, just at gross dollar amounts more. So yeah, I think. Yep. Um, I think, yeah, I think Daniel Craig's movie was was heavily influenced by the Bourne films. I mean, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It works for this this Bond. Now, a lot of people we're we're, we're comparing Bourne here to this this Bond, Quantum of Solace. A lot of people had problems with the shaky cam, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have that that same problem with like because Paul Greengrass got you know he was very shaky cam kind of he kind of shoots things almost documentary style, kind of like William Freakin did in The French Connection. I think they were kind of copying that here in, in Quantum of Solace. A lot of people had that had complaints, though, that they, they had a tough time following the action. Did you have that? No. I, I really didn't have a, a tough time following the action or anything. Uh, 
Like everything is 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 amped up a little bit more than more, really more than in Casino Royale. Like everything is cut a lot faster. The shots are quicker. They're tighter. They're grittier. They're more handheld. The shots uh, in this one are they're definitely a lot different. You can also tell that it's 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 different from Casino Royale too. Casino Royale, I think, had more of a slower pace. You know, there were action seeking scenes in it and stuff like that, and there was a lot of action. But then you had all the the card playing stuff and and all that kind of between. This is the shortest Bond film. Yes, it is. This is the shortest one, um, and it does move quick. I don't know. There's not Bond doesn't really do a lot of investigating. He mostly just kind of goes and talks to people in this film. You know, pretty much, yeah. But a lot of things do happen. Like he's meeting a lot of people. There's subplots that are going on. Um, Judy Dench's character M is in this movie a lot more. That shadow organization that we were kept talking about now, uh, that we were talking about in Casino Royale, we now know this is it's the Quantum Group, and they decide to you know keep on with their their evil diabolical plans. And I, we kind of start getting into world domination plans in this one. Yeah, I mean they're scaled back to where they're kind of realistic. And they kind of play with it as best they can from realistic angles. But at the end of the day, it's just still a bad guy trying to take over the world. Maybe that's part of the film's problem a little bit, is that maybe the bad guy isn't trying to take over the world. He's just trying to charge people more for water. Which can actually be more valuable than gold, diamonds, or oil. The villains in the movie, did you, did you, find, did you think they were weak? To be honest with you, man, I, I, I was, they were kind of lackluster, man. They really were. Yeah, I really enjoyed the actors that played all the villains. They just didn't, they weren't given a lot to do. Like, Le Chief was such a cool villain in Casino Royale. He cried blood. He was giving really cool dialogue. That interrogation scene that we talked about was, was really tense and amazing. He was a good bad guy. The bad guy, um, Dominic Green, is played by Matthew Amaric. He's, he's really physically smaller than Bond, so he's not a very... He's not a very big physical opponent to him. You know what I mean? They don't really present him as like he's some kind of like smart genius that can outwit Bond on some mental level. I don't know. It just seems like, well, once Bond gets a hold of this guy, he's dead meat. Yeah, he's not He's not that toying around, you know, yeah, a fun-loving Bond. <laughs> no. In uh, this movie, it, it still carries a lot over from Casino Royale. You notice that that he shows more respect for M in this movie, or he seems to listen to her a little better. You still see that side of him that's still trying to find his niche, still trying to find his place in, in this organization. You know, you see that they, that she trusts him and they, they have this kind of mother son relationship. Yeah. You really start to notice that develop in this, in this movie. Because when she gets shot, man, like, Bond kind of, like, he, like, tears off after that dude. Like, he's going to, you know, he's going to fuck that dude up if he gets his hands on it. Like, like that dude shot his actual mother, you know? Oh, she didn't actually get shot. She just got shot at. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what I mean. Casino Royale was a big hit. And, you know, there was a lot of expectation for this film when it was coming out. Like, I went to go see this. Opening night, uh, it made $67 million opening weekend, biggest opening weekend of, for a Bond film. I will say 
the first time I saw this in theaters, I was really mad. I was I was really disappointed. He doesn't say the famous line. He doesn't introduce himself that way, you know, like Bond to James Bond. That's not said in this film. He doesn't order his martini. It is such a direct sequel to Casino Royale that I, I, I guess as an audience member and as a Bond fan, what I wanted to happen was to see the Bond character grow in the next installment. And since this is such a direct sequel, Daniel Craig's not even a, really allowed to grow but so much. I mean, he's allowed to do different things because Bond has a different theme in this film and, and a different little arc that he's going for. I don't know, dude. I think I like that more, though. I like the fact that, you know, he's still in that mind frame. Yeah, he's starting to calm down a little bit, but he's still in that same same mind frame that he was in during Casino Royale. Bond got rebooted in 2006. Another big reboot that came out was Batman Begins. Its sequel, The Dark Knight, it came out the same year as Quantum of Solace. And not having all these preconceived notions and all this media hype that's building the film up, and just just watching the film right after Casino Royale, I do like all the tie-ins. I like the connections. I like returning characters. I like watching the story arc continue for Bond. Myself watching them for the first time, you know, I watched one right after the other. For me, it it worked out and it it made total sense, you know. So maybe that's the reason why I looked at it in a little bit of a different view than what you looked at. Yeah, I do. There, this was a this was a really big deal. Um, I mean, I even remember reading a magazine. I think it was, uh, I think it was Empire or something like that. It was, it was one of those magazines at the time, and they were like, "Oh, dude, it's got the gun barrel sequence in it." And I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" So I was, I was really, really hyping this up to be this big Bond event. Sometimes you hate a movie for not being what you wanted it to be, and that's terrible. It does happen sometimes, you know, like especially when you're a fan of something and you really like it, and you have all these expectations of where it's going to go and where you think it's going to go based on advertising, that's not the film's fault that it didn't live up to what you thought it should be. <laughs> you know, you should you should love and watch the film that the filmmakers made. Love the film yeah. you got. Where's the live by, man? Where's the live by? Yeah, you know, we're all growing here, you know. I, I, I still do it sometimes, still to this day. I, I know I'm doing it, though. I try not to, but... Yeah, I know what you mean. But dude, some some movies are truly horrible. No, I'm not seeing that. I'm just I'm talking about more for like these these big event franchises. I, I'm tr- that's why I'm trying not to get all nerdtastic and read all the Star Wars rumors. Because what I'm worried is is that if I read all those Star Wars rumors, I'll build up this really amazing story in my mind. Yeah, basically about pretty much how I felt about It Follows. There was such a hype built up for that movie that I had such a different expectation of the film in my own mind. And when I actually watched it, I was like, ah. All right, let's take a break, play the trailer. And when we come back, we're going to get into a more spoiler-filled discussion. I thought I could trust you. You said you weren't motivated by revenge. I'm motivated by my duty. I think you're so blinded by inconsolable rage that you don't care who you hurt. When you can't tell your friends from your enemies, it's time to go. 
You don't have to worry about me. Restrict Bond's movements. Put a stop on his passports. Find Bond. How long have I got? 30 seconds. That doesn't give us a lot of time. Welcome back. That was a trailer for Quantum of Solace. The film we're talking about tonight. Man, dude, does this film not open up on one amazing car chase? Not only that, but the very first shot in this film is an amazing shot. That helicopter shot. Oh, yeah. You know, then you get that amazing car chase, dude, that that Bond car chase that so, so lacked in Casino Royale. Yeah, they finally give us the car chase. But what's really cool, you go back to that helicopter shot you're talking about. I really love the way this film opens. We don't get the gun barrel. Instead, it does start on that helicopter shot. But in between it, they keep inserting these close-ups of the car, of this gun being loaded, of James Bond's eyes, and these really quiet moments. And then all of a sudden, when it goes to a wider shot, the sound just kicks in. If you have this on Blu-ray, oh my gosh, the bass just, everything, the soundtrack here just kicks into high gear and it takes off. It definitely does, man. That that whole car chase sequence is amazing. And dude, that, that Aston Martin gets tore up. That one part where that middle, the middle spike comes in through Bond's door. Yeah, I forget. I don't. It's like a. I think it's a piece of a guardrail or something, isn't it? Or is it a piece of another yeah. car? That's why he ends up losing the driver's side door in the car. <laughs> yeah, if you watch the behind the scenes, how they shot this, they have this huge camera rig. It's like a little crane, and it's on top of these SUVs. You know, they're driven by stunt drivers. They're actually in the middle of this car chase. And these cameras are just so close to these stunt cars. I mean, we're talking like, you know, five feet within these cars. Doing all these cool camera moves. But when they go to Sienna, they do this really cool thing. They don't really do it in any other Bond movies. But they, the font, how they announce the location. They'll have like Sienna up. They have a different title and a different font and a different kind of style. Each location has its own graphic look. And it's pretty big on the screen, too. It's not like a little down. It's not like an X-Files title, lower third kind of thing. No, it's definitely in your face, and it lets you know that that, that there's definitely a location change. (laughs) Did you like those? I really thought they were really cool, especially uh, the Bolivian one and the London one. Oh, yeah, with the rain, and it goes, uh, the car, like, drives over the title. Yeah, that was really cool. I like that, too. He pulls up in Siena, and then... Big surprise is Mr. White's in the trunk of the Aston Martin. Even the first time I saw it, I liked that. I thought that was a good reveal. Because I don't know how, what your impression of it was, but my impression of it was, was like, he just straight, you know, took Mr. White out. You know, like, he, he just straight assassinated that dude. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a nice reveal. It's just like, oh, hey, look, this is a super direct sequel. Yeah, literally direct, direct sequel. I got to ask, what'd you think of the song, man? The song was actually, uh, it was actually really good, man. Uh, Alicia Keys and Jack White of the White Stripes. I really enjoyed this Bond intro. 
I uh, I think it really fit the movie really good. I didn't. I wasn't like crazy about it. I didn't. I didn't hate it though. I mean, it looks. It does look good, and I really like that they have the uh, the silhouetted naked women. I, they, that's always like a Bond staple of the past. I'm glad that they brought that back. Well, I mean, I thought it was really cool. Like a lot of the colors that they chose to use, and it kind of gave it like this modern, like desert kind of feel to it. You know? Yeah, I like it. I really like that one where the the lady is like coming out of the sand. Yeah, she's like yeah. popping out of the sand dune. I thought that was a really cool effect. I thought that was neat. I, I, it is really weird how Daniel Craig is featured so heavily in these opens. Like the other Bond films, like you would, you, you know, you'd have like a silhouette. It's like Spy Who Loved Me and A View to a Kill. You, you'd have like a little bit better facially structured yeah. that you could tell it was like Roger Moore or something. But yeah. he's like, it's like actually Daniel Craig walking. Like it's him. Yeah, this one, this one was definitely more traditional to. to other bonds to in comparison to casino royale yeah i I, I see where you're coming from it's got more of like a retro feel to it yeah it definitely yeah it definitely has a retro feel to it oh i guess real quick before he interrogates mr uh before they interrogate mr white bond and m they do they have this really good conversation where she tells him that she pretty much doesn't trust him we never really know anyone do we But I do need to know, Bond. I need to know that I can trust you. And you don't? Well, it'd be a pretty cold bastard who didn't want revenge for the death of someone he loved. You don't have to worry about me. I'm not going to go chasing him. He's not important. And neither was she. Yeah. Oh, and they they also set up the the boyfriend of Vespa. They're talking about how there was a body that washed up, but... And at first they thought it might have been him, but it turned out to not be him. He seemed like in Casino Royale, like, you know, he was, he felt hurt and he was betrayed. In the beginning of this movie, they let you know that he still has feelings because he's got, he's got to be tough to him, you know? He's got to be like, no, I can still do my job, but he still sneaks that photo. It's, it's something to give the actor to do without saying something that lets us, the audience know like, oh, wow, he still cares about her. And that the guy is just not a cold hearted killer. Yeah, he actually cared about her. And that's going to be kind of like the, it'll be the driving force of the movie. You know, when they go to interrogate um, Mr. White, and he makes a comment about they never even noticed that their organization was even around for the longest time and stuff. Well, you know you're not in Britain, and God knows where you'll be tomorrow. Which should tell you that eventually you will tell us about the people you work with. And the longer it takes, the more painful we'll make it. <laughs> you really don't know anything about us. <laughs> it's so amusing because we are on the other side thinking, oh, the MI6, the CIA, they're looking over our shoulders, they're listening to our conversations, and the truth is you don't even know we exist. Well, we do now, Mr. White. And we're quick learners. <laughs> oh, really? Well, then... The first thing you should know about us is that we have people everywhere. Am I right? I really like how, like, he is so confident during this scene. Like, he's telling these... He's captured by MI6. Like, he's screwed. They're going to torture him, get all the information they want out of him. 
Like, they didn't even know if Mathis in the last movie was guilty or not. And they were like, yeah, we're going to torture this guy. So this guy, they know he's guilty. He's definitely getting tortured. And he is just so smug. Oh, yeah, he definitely is a smug bastard about it. And then then that's when you know he's got an agent in the room. And that was such an amazing reveal, dude. I thought that was really cool. But one of the agents that's guarding him is actually an employee of Mr. White and his organization. Yeah, so like him and Bond get into this huge fight and this really cool chase sequence. And man, I really liked they they start going underground under these tunnels and they start intercutting with the race horse, uh, the horse race outside. I thought that was yeah. great, man. I I I really liked the editing in this film. I thought it was really well done. Uh, yeah, you you're like fucking fighting on scaffolding, running across roofs, jumping through glass windows. I right, so this was all yeah. this was actually shot in Siena and that rooftop stuff, that's actually they shot those actors on the actual rooftops. And how they did this is they, they got these huge cranes. It took them a week to set these four cranes up so they could put this camera. It's called a go camera motion system. It moves in 3D space, and it's a wired control camera. It goes up, down, left, right, back, forward. And, man, dude, watching this thing on the behind the scenes, this huge camera just rolling on these cables off these giant cranes on the rooftops of Siena is just mind-blowing insanity. And on top of that, that's actually Daniel Craig running on those rooftops. I mean, they did wire removal. He is wearing harness. And he's doing a lot of the jumps in this scene, too. Like, he's jumping. He jumps down on a bus in this. That's actually Daniel Craig doing, performing that stunt. Now, they're, again, they're removing the wires, but he still did that. You do notice kind of very quickly that, that Bond in this film does have his signature series, Walter PPK. Oh, does he? They don't ever call it out. No, they don't ever call it out, but that little short barreled gun that he has that he that he grabs and shoots the dude with during the, the scaffolding battle. That scene has a little bit of uh there's quite a bit of tension right there, man. I really so I really liked how this is paced. Like it's it's a constant chase until they get to this this kind of bell tower. And once they run into there, they kind of the bad guy shoots at Bond, so Bond has to kind of hang back for a little bit. Bad guy gets to the top, so we have this kind of tense moment where Bond is, you know, rounding the corner kind of slow, and then he decides to ring the bells, so this guy can't hear him come up there. And it's this nice little tense scene with Bond coming up this bell tower looking for this guy, and then, you know, it, it ends with the guy dying, of course, because James Bond can't die. But yeah, see, he does have his signature series, Pistola. As well he should. That's when Bond comes back and then he finds your White's left. This movie has no money penny. It has no cue. But what it does have is a minority report room. It's it's really out of place. Because this movie is like the way and all the locations it's set in. You know, it's, I don't know, it's just set out in location. And it's not, you don't see a lot of technology in this film. No. And the only technology you see is at the main MI6 building in London. It kind of looks a little dated. It does. But oh, so the, I guess the whole plot here is is that they tagged Lashif's money because they knew he was dirty. Yeah, so they follow the money all the way down to Haiti. And that's all they have to go on at this point. So Bond goes to Haiti. And this is where the plot starts to get a little muddled. Yeah, the first time I watched this, I was kind of like, 
Okay. Um, I, I was a little confused. But yeah, basically what happens is is Bond breaks into this dude's hotel room because he thinks the dude isn't there. Dude actually is there, and they get into a fight. Bond ends up killing the dude. That's a really graphic fight for PG-13. Yes, it is. Because, like, this, Bond stabs this dude in the neck, and he doesn't just, like, die and it's off camera. Like, he's alive, and he's kind of, like, holding his neck. And Bond just kind of <laughs> sits there and, and watches this guy die. And I do, like, there's a running kind of joke that M has with, with Bond. Like, God damn it, stop killing all these people. We need to interrogate and get information from them. Yeah, we need witnesses. <laughs> he went down there and pretended to be the guy that rented the room so he could get the briefcase. And, you know, at that point in time, Bond kind of walked himself into a bad situation. Yeah, man, you're just going to go get in some random car with some chick who just pulls up and says, hey, dude, get in the car. You know, that dude was supposed to kill that chick, Camila. This is where it gets a little confusing. We're just going to go ahead and spoil this now. We're just going to get this out of the way because the movie, Dale... Deals this information out and kind of a, it, it's kind of it's kind of in a confusing muddled manner a little bit, but the idea is that Camilla is this Bolivian agent, and she contacted this geologist that works for Dominic Green, who is our main bad guy, to get information. Dominic Green's character finds out, and he kills the ge- the geologist and hires a hitman to kill her to pose as the geologist. Well, now Bond yep. has the briefcase. He gets in the car. He opens up the briefcase. He hands her the blank pieces of paper. And she's like, what's this? I thought that was a really cool scene. <laughs> yeah, she pulls out the gun and just fires. And Bond's got some really cool, like, little one-liners. And he's got some, he's got some funny dialogue in this scene. You know, it, it, it's a little bit lighter of a tone here. That wasn't very nice. You were supposed to shoot her. Well, I missed. That's a moment straight out of GTA right there on film. (laughs) (laughs) He he does does GTA him. So Bond follows her back, and that's how he figures out Dominic Green is our bad guy because he sees these two together. Camilla's also sleeping... With the Dominic, the, the main bad guy, Dominic Green, as well, to get all this information. She's actually po- posing as his, as his girlfriend. She straight confronts him about trying to have her killed. That's when we first get like the introduction of the backstory. This general, this Bol- he's like some general in Bolivia who wants to rise up and take control of the country. He did really bad things yeah. to our Bond girl. Or her parents. Well, no, I mean, no, he did, she, he did, he did terrible things to her. Like he, yeah, he, he killed her dad, and it's implied that he raped and murdered the mom and sister. Definitely murdered. Heavily implied that he raped them. Yes, it is. And then left Very. her in a burning building. Yep, and that's why she's got the scars on her back. And this guy's barely in the movie, and he is the most threatening bad guy in the entire film. He really is. I mean, <laughs> no I think shit. so. I really wish they developed Camilla's backstory just a little bit more because so after this scene, there's like a big boat chase. We'll talk about the boat chase in a minute, but then kind of after that, she's, she's really out of the story for, for a while. She kept during this boat chase when she kept kind of like bitching at Bond 
or like yelling in his ear and shit, and he just knocks her ass out. I got a little, I got quite a bit of a chuckle the first time I saw it, and he's like, he, he gets off the boat and he's like carrying her, and he walks up to the bellhop and he just, he's like here. Excuse me. Thank you. She's seasick. And then you don't see her ass again for another, what, about 20, 30 minutes of the movie? I wish they developed her character just a little bit more. I wish the other Bond girl, they, they introduced her later on in the movie, but I really just wish that they had kept Camilla the entire time, um, who was played by uh, Olga Carolinto. Yeah, because she, she is out of the movie for a while. I, yeah, I wish her backstory was a little bit more developed and she was with Bond longer instead of the Fields Bond girl that shows up a little later. Yeah, who isn't in the movie but maybe a total of five minutes altogether. She's she's really attractive, and, she, and she's kind of tough, too. You know, she's playing a, another agent, but she's also kind of a rookie agent. Yeah, you can tell that, too, yeah. Because Bond has this conversation with her, like, later in the movie about killing somebody and killing somebody for revenge. Yeah, he does. And then, you know, another thing, man, like, that general dude, that general dude, Probably gonna fucking rape her ass and kill her and throw her overboard into the fucking ocean somewhere. That seems to be his mo when you get a little bit later in the movie. Is like, yeah, he, he likes to rape and kill people and then set things on fire. We gotta talk about the boat chase real quick. This is a really good boat chase. Uh, I think this is my favorite boat chase in a Bond film since like Live and Let Die. Um, yeah, that's definitely a classic, classic Bond boat chase. It's a little on the short side. It's not nearly as long as Live and Let Die, but man, I, I really like it. You can really feel Daniel Craig is like on the boat. I said you got goddamn explosions, high speed boat chases, gunshots. It's badass. The whole boat chase thing is the very end when he does he does the little hook and the and the boat flip at the very end where it goes over yeah, him. Yeah. That was a yeah. really cool stunt. After this sequence, we get the CIA scene where we find out the CIA are they're kind of scummy. You know, man, I, I really well. I, okay, let's be fair now. Felix, I, Felix is definitely not scummy. Okay, yeah, that's true. Felix Leiter comes back, played by Jeffrey Wright, amazing actor. Yes, yes. Returning from he, returning character from Casino Royale. It's nice to see somebody playing Felix Leiter more than once. Because usually he's, he's recasting like every film. Somebody's playing Felix Leiter, new guy. but uh, And his co-star is Magnum P.I. Did you see that guy with the glasses and the big mustache? Like the other CIA guy, like his boss? Yeah, that, that dude's about as crooked as hell, man. Like he, he's, he's as fucking crooked as they come, man. Look, I mean, this is an American movie, really. It's This is kind of a UK franchise. It's, you know, it's it's a British spy movie. But they're actually kind of painting America and the CIA in a negative, you capitalist bastards, all you care about is money and oil, light. Which you don't see a lot in American cinema. And really, all that is kind of portrayed by that, by the, you know, the Ned Flanders. Uh... <laughs> My Magnum P.I. reference wasn't good enough. Paul's like, you know what? It really looks like Ned, <laughs> Ned Flanders. He does look like Ned Flanders. He does look like him. He does look like Ned Flanders, dude. I shit you not. All right, Paul, so you ready to talk about probably one of the best scenes in this entire film, the opera scene? Uh, now, this is uh, an opera house. Now, if you, hey, man, now this is an actual opera house. If you look at it, 
The stadium's on land, but the stage is actually in a lake. Like, it's actually floating. It's not connected. I really like the scene. Like, Bond just walks up in there, man, like, just nonchalant, just starts, like, rifling through, you know, people's wardrobes and shit, and shit like that, man. And he ends up knocking the one dude's ass out in the bathroom, fucking breaks the door handle off. Yeah, he gets his earpiece. I guess I guess everybody in the quantum group gets a little a cool little Q pin, little white Q pin that they can wear. And dude, I really thought this was an awesome scene. He so he, he puts his earpiece in and he goes up to the top of the the stage. He's behind he's behind the the stage. He goes up to the top and I thought this was some really cool spy shit right here. He's listening to what they're they're talking about and when do they get to a point where they're wrapping up their conversation? Bond just gets on the intercom and lets him know he's there. And everybody gets up and starts leaving because they're like, oh, crap, we've been compromised. And he just starts snapping pictures of all of them, and they're screwed. I'm not sure that the Tierra project is the best use of Quantum's time. Perhaps we should shift our focus to the Canadian. This is the world's most precious resource. We need to control as much of it as we can. Bolivia must be top priority. Can I offer an opinion? I really think you people should find a better place to meet. Where do you think you're going? Yeah, and they just all get up like so fucking nonchalantly and just like walking out of the room like single file. Yeah, bad. Hey, Mr. White didn't get up. No, no, he stood, he sat right there the whole time. Like, he, he makes some kind of really, really, really smirky comment. Well, Tosca isn't for everyone. And I love that uh, that shot right after that when um, Dominic walks out and he just sees Bond. And I swear, it looks like he's going to fucking shit his pants. They're surprised to see Bond just kind of standing there. When they meet, I loved that. But right after that, like Dominic Green sends his goons to go after Bond. And they, they go after him, and then all the sound drops out. You know, they're trying to go for this stylistic, like, ooh, look, you know, the, the sound's all low and our music's getting tense. I kind of like that. And I kind of like the, uh, at first, it was kind of like silent, and it was like all this chaos going on, and then like how all the sound effects that kind of what was going on in the opera kind of started to transition to what was going on with Bond. I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting, man. I don't know. I guess, I guess I've seen John Woo do that so many times. It's just, I don't know if that seems appropriate for James Bond. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. On that. You know, like, uh, and I think John Woo even does that. Like there's, I think there's even a scene in face off where he uses like, um, it's some older song and some little kid listening to uh, to headphones. Where it's that you know, it's that the the music that you're listening to is contrasting the violence that you're seeing on screen. I don't I don't, I don't hate that concept. I'm not saying that that's a terrible idea. I mean, I've seen it that executed perfectly before. I just don't know if it fits in a Bond film. I did like I do I totally agree with you though. I love when they they meet and <laughs> the villain just has that. Oh, doo-doo, look in his face. He's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Well, not only that, man, there's something else that I want to point out about that movie. What's up with that fucking weird motherfucker that's got the Pee Wee Herman haircut that's with him? Like, they give each other some really weird fucking looks, dude. 
almost kind of like sensual ways. It's kind of weird. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but I really noticed that right at the beginning of the opera scene. See, I didn't get that. That guy just came off as like the world's biggest klutz to me. Like he was the worst henchman ever. Like he did not seem like he was intimidating at all. Like even at the end, there's a scene where like Dominic Green's character is totally running from Bond, and like, he gets the guy to like stand there, and he he helps him point the gun. And it's like, yeah. wait, he's supposed to be your bodyguard and henchman. You, why are you doing that? And then there's that like that scene later where the uh, the Fields character trips him down the stairs. Yeah, that shit was funny. And it turns out he's he has he's been wearing a toupee. So his Pee Wee Herman haircut really isn't a Pee Wee Herman haircut after all. He's just, he's just, he's just bald, man. He's, he's trying to rock it. I mean, personally, I would shave it, obviously, but, you know. And, of course, okay, so after this, we get our returning character, Mathis. Bond ventures to Italy in his own way, apologizes to Mathis. And then, of course, Mathis brings Vespa up. Then he turns around and asks Mathis to help him out with some South American contacts that he's got. And we find out that he did not portray Bond at all. MI6 is such a great organization. After they torture you and brand you, brand you as a traitor and find that you're innocent, they buy you a nice Italian villa. And give you a hot wife. Or was, I don't know, was he already married to her, the hot wife? I really don't know, man. I didn't know. Was that his wife? I thought it was kind of like his girlfriend. Or I don't know. Either way, dude, he was doing well for himself. Right When the scene where Bond's asking Mathis for help, they're sitting outside in his little villa estate, and then his wife or girlfriend, whatever she is, she's down there asking him to like put lotion on her body. And I don't, it's just really weird. The next two shots... Like, she looks up, and it's a close-up of her, and then it goes to this really weird shot where it's almost like a POV from where Mathis was sitting of Bond, and then it just cuts to the next shot. But a totally different scene, but it's just so weird. The, the shot sequence right there I thought was so bizarre. And they're, it's really quick, too. It's like a second and a half, two seconds. You get these two shots, and it's just like... Pshaw. Were you talking about where they have the, uh, that overhead shot? Yeah, it goes from that overhead shot. Yeah, exactly, right? So it goes from that overhead shot, cuts to her like our close-up, and then it goes to kind of like a Mathis POV of, of like him looking at Bond. So that's what makes it weird. You know what I mean? Like, so she's looking up, and then it's a, it's a close-up of her looking at something. So you, you want the answer shot of what she's looking at, and in, instead of that, it's like a, a POV shot of another character. I don't know. It's, I just thought it was really weird, and I don't know if anybody else noticed it or anything. Yeah, that 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 is a little bit of a strange sequence right there. Uh, I will, would have to agree with you on that. Yeah, it just kind of jumped out. There's that. There's a little weird sequence after that. I think they're on on the plane or something, and Bond's at the bar drinking. You know, I think this is the only time I've ever seen James Bond drunk in a scene. I mean, I've seen him order drinks before <laughs> and drinking, but I don't know if I've ever seen him drunk in a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he, he was he was kind of portrayed as being a little inebriated in the, in this scene, and it all had to deal with Vespa again. Yeah, v- Vespa comes back uh, quite a bit in this movie. Yep. Math, the Mathis character will you know, he'll bring her up one more time. I like that they brought the Mathis character back. I really wish they did more with him though. Yeah, they brought him back, and he was kind of like there for a little bit, and then he he kind of he kind of vanished. Like they traded they traded Matthew for Field. 
Yeah, so Fields' entire job, this character Fields, who is our redhead Bond girl, you know right away she's dead meat. But yeah, once we get into this hotel room, man, like, you know, it does not take Bond at all long to work his magic on consulate Fields. Well, yeah, the, she takes him to the uh, the first hotel that they're supposed to go to, right? And he's just like, he has some line like, I'm not going to that way. You're going nowhere. So shoot me. I'd rather stay in a morgue. We are teachers on sabbatical. This fits our cover. Well, it doesn't. Get in. Get in. I mean, it's like, is it that really, is it really that easy, man, to get laid? All you have to do is go into the bedroom and take your jacket off and be like, I can't seem to find the stationery. Oh, dude, that was that was a great that was a great moment. Only Bond could do that. Anybody else that she'd have been like, why? Why do you care about a stationery? Bond's got that charm. I can't find the. Um, the stationery. You come and help me look. Somehow sexually innuendous remark about a stationary and then all of a sudden gets laid by a girl that he's known for maybe about five minutes. What's what's insane, like the whole reason, like the way the movie's betrayed here, like the whole reason she sleeps with him is because he takes her to this nicer hotel. MI6 is paying for it. You know, I mean, he's not even, he's not even paying for it with his own money. So I'm not understanding why she's really infatuated with him. If I was a Briton, I'd be pretty mad at Bond because he is, man, he is hell on the taxpayer dollar, bro. Yo, yeah, definitely. He's he's between the cars and all the other collateral damage that he causes. Where's your closest five-star restaurant and five-star hotel? Because I only stay in the best. Which one won the J.D. Powers Award? Because that's the one I'm staying in. <laughs> there's this dolly shot after he sleeps with uh fields and she's laying in bed and she's got her back all exposed and daniel craig comes up and starts kissing on her back and the dolly shot's just wrapping around and man that's that's a real good sexy moment in this movie dude thought that was a great great shot now i was actually talking to somebody not too long ago and they said that's this is something they had a problem with because the movie was so focused on bond and his his wanting to get revenge for vespa that he was he was gonna sleep with this chick they had a problem with that i don't see why anybody would have a problem with that i mean i mean it's, it is very james bond but i guess i understand it from the the point of view of like he i, I feel like he's going to bed with her so he can get out of that hotel easier without having to slip out with her he can just invite her to the party bond is kind of a man whore dude once Camilla and Bond, once they meet up, I mean, he he pretty much just meets her and he's like, hey, sh- you're going to show me this section of land that this guy is buying. Dominic Green is buying up this land in Bolivia, so he, he's going to get this dictator or this wannabe dictator, I guess, uh, the, this general. He's going to give him power so he can get this section of land. And everybody thinks he, they're going to get oil. That's the whole reason the Americans are involved, the CIA, everyone, is because they think he found oil there. And she agrees to show him this patch of land. I guess I guess the real big spoiler of the movie, uh, Mathis is dead. Mathis dies. So yeah, the, the colonel of police guy, he's the one that, he's the guy that ends up portraying Mathis. And these cops pull over Bond. How about I'll bow it? Come on. 
Why would you want me to do that? Sáquenlo de ahí. And you know, Mathis is actually still alive. Like, Bonk takes care of the cops, but it, Mathis is still alive. He has his dying words here, and he's trying to tell Bond that he needs to forgive Vesper for everything that she did, and that she really did love him. And I shouldn't have left you alone. Vesper, she gave everything for you. Forgive her. I don't know how to feel about Bond throwing the body in the dumpster. Oh, that's pretty hardcore, though, dude. Yeah, he also takes his money out of his wallet, too. Like, there's even a line in Casino Royale when he finds out that, like, uh, Vesper's dead, when he's like, good, the bitch is dead. Sometimes he kind of comes off a little too harsh on some things. Yeah, throwing Mathis's body in the dumpster is definitely one of them. I guess I'm okay with the dumpster if you're trying to keep him like out of sight, so the cops don't find him. But the problem is, is that yeah, but he, but yeah, he doesn't move the other the the guys he kills, the cops that he kills. He doesn't move them, and he doesn't move the car out of the way. So it's like I don't really understand why he just moves Mathis' body into the dumpster. Out of respect, I'm going to put you in the dumpster, old friend. Yeah, I mean, like, why don't you just put him on the sidewalk? I mean, it's not a dumpster. Sometimes in these first two Daniel Craig reboots, they go a little too dark with Bond's character. I have to say I agree with you on that. We got to talk about this plane scene real quick. Insane stunt work. I mean, dude, this now you're talking about dangerous well, stuff. Not only that, but in this movie, you have a Bond chase on land, sea, and air. That is very true. Packs in the, the chase sequences that uh, Casino Royale lacked. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has a lot more big action set pieces, and I don't know, the bullets coming through, I thought were great, dude. I thought that it, it was nice. It kind of, it almost has like a little bit of a film noir look because just the way like the bullet yeah. holes, they rip down and like the light kind of kind of punctures through a little bit. It was, it was also a little surprising too, to see a aerial chase sequence in this movie as well. So at the end of the so at the end of the sequence, that scene where they jump out of the airplane and there's only one parachute. I think that was the I think that was probably the worst looking thing in the film. I'll be honest, the CGI is a little weak there. I mean that is a hard effect to pull <laughs> off. Yeah, man, but the CGI is is very weak there. It's a shame too because everything in the plane sequence before looks or feels pretty good like i mean you those are actual airplanes flying in the sky those are not models anyway they fall down into this like fucking cave i really didn't understand this part of the movie man like yeah like i didn't get the necessity of it they just so happened to fall into this fucking cave yeah you know it, it was kind of convenient but I, mean, I don't know dude this movie is so fast-paced they take a lot of shortcuts and they're like you know hey look don't ask you know, and they kind of use this this time in the movie to do kind of like a little backstory on Camila, you know, Camila's character, story of her family and everything else and all that. And then Bond, you know, they kind of have like a little moment and everything else. And all of a sudden Bond's like, OK, well, let's let's find a way out of here. And then all of a sudden they're just out of there. But we can let the audience know that these these guys are connected. They are mirroring each other. You know, it's like. 
Yeah, it's not terrible. I mean, I don't mind this scene. It is abruptly ended. I totally agree with that. But I do like how they have this mirroring aspect to them. Like, their their relationship, they both want revenge. But I do agree with you. It does end really abrupt. Let's get out of here. And Bond's like, hey, these bad guys want Bolivia's water. They find all this out in the cave, too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. So the bad guys are diverting the water so it'll be on their land and they're going to buy this land from this dictator that they're going to put in power so they do get back and james bond goes to his hotel m's already there and you find out that the fields character is laying dead in his bed he drowned her in oil and she's laying in this white bed just naked body is just covered in oil that, that seriously has to be a fucked up way to die for somebody just to fucking drown you in oil. They He killed her in oil to throw, to make the Americans and the British believe he has oil on his land. Yeah, that or just to kind of send him a, to send him a sign. And Felix, Felix kind of like his bond, like the heads up and even, you know, kind of tells him, he's like, look, man, they're, they're on their way and they're after. And that's when we get our final showdown at the... It's kind of like the evil lair. It's not really. It's where the general and our bad guy are signing contracts. But, you know, it's cool. It's it's Quantum Solace's version of the evil lair. So this hotel, did you understand how the... They called out the fuel cells. And it, I saw that there's a shot later where it says hydrogen. Did you, did you understand how this hotel worked? Hell to no, dude. I don't understand. They, they just make this reference about... Fuel cells being state of the art, and uh, the general says something like, "Oh, that sounds unstable." It, it kind of seemed like a producer was like, "Hey, look, guys, can we write a reason for this building just to fucking blow up? Like, we want it to blow up really good, but uh, just, just, just give us a reason that's original." This is going off of you know Casino Royale, where a house was held up by fucking balloons full of air. The general's here because he's signing the paperwork to the bad guy, you know, to... And, dude, the general's such a creep. He's like, hey, waitress that brought me my delicious Mexican beverage, uh, can you take that to my hotel room where I can also get my rape on? Yeah, because I'm just a rapist. That's dude, what I do. creepy. Pedophile and rapist just written all over him. Right? Like, he's speaking a different language, and I don't even have to know what he's saying. Looking at his face... I know he's a creep. That dude's mannerisms just gives me the creep of uh Once Bond and Camilla, once they show up at this this hotel, man, this is a really cool Bond set piece. I really like this. It's like they everything starts blowing up. There's fire everywhere. Yeah. It looks so good. Is- I'd have to say is it definitely is it definitely the highlight of the movie. Yeah, this is this is probably one of my favorite sequences in the film. Like this, the opera sequence and um, the car chase and the boat chase. I think those are the four highlights of this film. And for people that have problems with the movie, I would say look at at these four sequences. They're so good. You definitely. I don't yeah. think you can call this movie crap. I mean, there's no way you can say it. These sequences are so well done. No, you can't call it crap or garbage, man. But I will say that it seems that in this Bond movie that that the actual storytelling is very lacking and the movie feels like it is at some point in time paced 
way too fast. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, some some of the character development is, but... That's my biggest problem with the movie. The, the storytelling could have been better. The character development could have been better. I, I really enjoyed the pace of Casino Royale. I felt like I was watching just a straight-up adventure... I mean, a straight-up action film. But I really didn't feel that way with Casino Royale quite so much. I don't know. This movie's got a nice raw... A raw, it's got a nice raw feel that I do like. like even yeah, even the explosions in this last set piece, like when the bombs, like when little little bombs go off or little explosions happen, like the characters they react to that, like and and the violently, like when when a bomb goes off, Bond will get thrown against a wall, and the bad guy will get pushed over against a railing somewhere. What did you think about the axe fight between Bond and uh, Dominic? Maybe it was just a hair anticlimactic. Yeah, I thought it could have been a little bit better than it was. First time I saw this, I would agree with you. Seeing it now, the scene where it goes into his toe, that was so violent, and the sound effect was so horrendous. Like, it was so good, but it just it made me cringe in my in my seat. I like I jumped when that sound effect hit. The problem is, is that Dominic Green's character he just kind of goes away. The building burns down. He spares Dominic's life and lets him go, and he tries to go save Camilla. And when he does go save her, the part that I hate the most is when the building's burning down, he has the gun in his hand, and he's actually thinking about killing himself and killing her instead of burning alive. And I just don't feel like that's what James Bond would do. Like I feel like James Bond would never even entertain suicide. That was really out of place. Um, that momentary kind of suicidal thought thing. I was just like that. Now that you want to talk about something that caught me off guard, that fucking caught me off guard. I did have a serious problem with that. You know, like the bond yeah, character that- seems like he lives so much in the moment and he's, he's so carefree. I don't know. He, he seems like he always fights, you know, he's, he's always out there for queen and country and he's always giving it his all. And I just don't see suicide even for a second entering in his mind. Now, granted, this is a super nitpick because the the actual time that you see Bond think about the suicide is like maybe four or five seconds on screen, max. It's not much. No, it's not much at all. But it's still there. And, of course, he catches up with Dominic Green and leaves him out in the middle of the desert with some oil to drink in case he gets thirsty. I thought I thought that was pretty cool. It's like I'm not gonna actually kill you with my own hands. I'm not gonna shoot you. I'm not gonna stab you, break your neck. I'm just gonna take you out in the middle of nowhere and give you a substance that will kill you if you drink it and just leave your ass there. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I mean like he was screwed anyway. Like even if somebody even if somebody finds him, it's gonna be his own group and that you know, they are gonna know he talked, so they're gonna kill him. And I, I do yeah. like at the end of the scene that they acknowledge that Bond did get some information from him. He let, you know, Dominic's character go. So maybe, you know, he actually is starting to come around and start to listen to him more. Dude, I don't know, man. I mean, that's 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 pretty weak. Like, I mean, he pretty much killed the guy. There's no way that guy's getting out of that situation. I mean, he's fucked. Yeah, but once again... He got what he needed from him. He let him live. 
Now, how long this guy lives after Bond walks away, that's not Bond's problem anymore. I'm just going to put him out here and let nature take its course. You promised that you... Let you go? I answered your questions. I told you what you wanted to know about Quantum. Yes, you did. And your friends would know that, so they're probably looking for you. But the good news is, you're in the middle of a desert. Here. I bet you make it 20 miles before you consider drinking that. Goodbye, Mr. Green. That's pretty much the end of the movie until we get this little epilogue scene where Bond finds this sack of shit douchebag that was the boyfriend of Vesper that is doing the exact same thing to this girl that's in the Canadian intelligence service. Wait, yes, there's a secret service MI6 CIA equivalent in Canada. Apparently they have an intelligence agency. They're like the Mounties, but they're okay. Look, we can't make fun of Canada, but for so long, we love you, Canada. Yeah, we do. We do. I mean, 10% of our audience comes from Canada. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. Hey, Bond's a gentleman, right? He lets the lady leave. As for Vespa's ex-boyfriend, ex-fiance, oh, his ass is screwed, dude. All right, spoiler, super spoiler. At the end, he lets him live. What I loved most about what the filmmakers did here was that they shot Bond interacting with a woman that was being taken advantage of. And the way that Bond just lets her know this in a very sure way while pointing a gun and still being comforting, I really like how when she leaves, she like she even she even kind of thanks him. You're Canadian? You work in Canadian intelligence? That's all right, I know you do. And knowing this man, I'd guess you have access to some very sensitive material, which you're gonna be forced to give up. His life will be threatened, and because you love him, you won't hesitate. It's a beautiful necklace. Did he give it to you? Yeah, I wouldn't just like it. He gave it to a friend of mine. Someone very close to me. Your name is... Corinne. Corinne. Corinne, I suggest you leave now. You contact your people and you tell them to check their seals. They have a leak. Do it now, please. This man and I have some unfinished business. It's almost like, hey, thanks that you you pulled a gun on me and didn't kill me, but also thanks that you let me know that I was living a life of a lie. So Bond saves her ass. Bond gets a little choked up at the end. Like he, he walks out and he meets M. And he tells M that he didn't he didn't kill this guy. Yeah, M, M almost like she kind of gives him this uh, impression that she's kind of proud of him there. You know, at least that's kind of how I got that she's proud that he refrained himself from killing this dude. Absolutely I right. I assume you have no regrets. I don't. What about you? Of course not. That would be unprofessional. They found Green dead in the middle of the Bolivian desert of all places. Two bullets in the back of his skull. They found motor oil in his stomach. Does that mean anything to you? Wish I could help. 
You'll be glad to know I straightened things out with the Americans. Your friend Lighter's been promoted. He replaced Beam. Well, then the right people kept their jobs. Something like that. Congratulations, you were right. About what? About Vesper. Ma'am. Bond? I need you back. I never left. That really, it really showed the bond of, of Bond's growth as a character. I think in in this movie. Oh yeah, this kind of this kind of sums up his journey over these last two films. This kind of Quantum of Solace is kind of its own epilogue wrap up of Casino Royale. Yes, it is definitely. I mean, it has its own story elements, its own story beats, but. It's really just a wrap up of Casino Royale. I mean, that's that's the thing, you know. It tries to answer a lot of questions that were still left unanswered. After Daniel Craig and Judy Dench get their heart to heart moment, the movie ends, and then out of nowhere, here comes the gun barrel sequence at the end of the yep. film. Finally get that gun barrel. First first time I saw this, I hated it. Hated, 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 hated it. I was like, look, dudes, it goes at the front of the movie, not at the end. I feel like Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace are a kind of both a combined Bond origin story. Like, this is Bond Begins 1 and 2. And then once we get into Skyfall, that... To me, that the Skyfall is the Dark Knight of Daniel Craig's Bond movies. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that because um, they're they're definitely a continuation of one another. But you know, it, I, I do love the fact that this is a Bond origin story, and once again, this is also not a typical Bond either. You know, this is not the Bond that we're used to seeing. I mean, I, overall, yeah, Quantum of Solace, I think, had problems. But overall, it was an enjoyable and good film, man. Okay, look, here's the thing, guys. I feel really bad how hard I have judged this movie over the years. I've been really unfair to this film. And I will completely admit to that. Some of it is fanboy obsession. The Bond films are something I've grown up with my entire life. These films are important to me. I mean, just like they're important to millions of people all over the world. And I mean, I, w with that being said, and I do agree with you, you know, 100%, but it does, there does need to be a fresh face put on Bond. And I think Daniel Craig does it. And I think there needs to be a new approach taken by Bond. And I think these newer Bond films definitely do both of those. It's not rehashing the same old formula over and over and over and over again. There's some Bond elements that I miss that are not in this movie. Um, I'm glad they started to try to put a little bit of the humor back in. You know, give give Craig more humor. And you'll notice as these films go on, and I'm, I am including Spectre in this list. As the films go on, I do feel like they get more and more humor. We get more of a progression from 
Casino Royale. It's a specter from where we see it's kind of like Bond begins to the James Bond that all of us know. Um, some of the humor, you notice that there's a bigger progression of humor in Quantum Solace than there is in Casino Royale. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a terrible Bond film. At the same time, I don't really think it's the greatest Bond film either. It does have some problems. I think, you know, I think we've addressed those problems. I think we've, you know, we've been a little bit nicer than, I think a lot of people crap on this film and don't enjoy the things that are right with it. Because there is a light that's right with this film. There's a lot of good things in this movie. And I think there's a lot of things to celebrate and enjoy. But at the same time, it is definitely not Skyfall. It's not Casino Royale. It's Craig's worst Bond. But even Craig's worst Bond. Yeah, it's still a really damn good Bond. Exactly, right? I'm with you on that one, Brian. It's It's not the best Bond film ever. But it's still a really good, enjoyable movie. There are a few problems with it, but, you know, hell, I, I still enjoy it immensely, man. Hey, Paul, thanks again for coming out tonight, man, and uh, talking um, our second Bond film. Hell yeah, man. I, I loved it as always, man. It's been a blast and enjoy being on, man, every time, you know. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is the movie crew. That's themoviecrew at gmail.com. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E. Get that extra E at the end. You can give us suggestions for topics to cover, movies to cover, whatever you guys want. We really appreciate our listeners. So anything you guys want to suggest or recommend, please, by all means, shoot us an email. Paul, tell these people what they're going to be listening to tonight. Tonight. Our musical selection from Quantum Solace will be Alicia Keys and Jack White, Another Way to Die. Later. Enjoy. Another dirty money heaven 